this morning. Um, you know, I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody who helped make last Sunday possible. It was our international Sunday. It was such a special day, and uh, so many people worked so hard on it. And I don't know if you got to get, how many of you didn't get any lunch last week? It was sold out by the time you got to the table. You made the mistake of being friendly and talking to somebody after the service. You'll learn to never do that again, won't you? Uh, it, was, it was a great Sunday. We had celebrated over 29 different uh, countries represented in our service and uh, just another mark of the, the goodness of God in our midst. So thank you to all of you who made that possible. Um, we're starting a new series today and we're going to run it through the next six weeks called The Grace Effect. And we're going to be talking about the impact of grace on our lives and unpacking that. I was talking to someone earlier a couple of weeks ago who had been searching for work for over a year. And then they finally got the call that they'd got a, a full-time job. And the sky was bluer, the air was warmer, everything changed for them instantly with that phone call. They had had questions about whether or not they were gonna be able to afford their apartment. Some of their friends were going away on a summer vacation and they didn't think they'd be able to go with them. Uh, their cell phone contract was up for renewal and they thought they were gonna to have to get a flip phone or something uh, because they didn't know how much money they would have coming in each week. But that news that they'd gotten work affected everything. I was talking to someone else who had been in a battle with cancer and the cancer had gone into remission and now it's gone. And the doctor said to them, I'll see you in a year. Now this person had been seeing the doctor week after week after week for a two year period. So to hear those words, I'll see you in a year, were a game changer for them. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about how grace impacts every aspect of our life in that same way. And here's my assumption, that if you come face to face with the grace of God, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. And that as you start to figure out what that looks like in your life, you're going to discover life and freedom and peace. And that that is what the Lord wants for you. Grace is a general term used to describe God's unearned favor towards us. His kindness towards us. Not because we deserve it, but because he has love and affection for us. When we talk about grace so often, we think about saving grace, the grace that's available to us at that moment when we recognize our need for the Lord, we open our hearts and receive him by faith. The moment we realize he's been pursuing us and has offered us a way to be made right with him, to be made totally right, that there's no junk any longer between us and between the Lord. For there to be a way for God to look at us, and when he sees us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ and not all of our sin and failures. And this was the grace that was made possible to us through the events of Easter weekend, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that grace affects every aspect of our life. We're no longer estranged from God. We're part of his family. We have new life. Our life has new purpose. We have a new power living within us to live this life out. We're part of a new community and on and on. But grace is even bigger than just that salvation event, as central as it is. Grace is any undeserved act of God towards you. When you woke up this morning and saw sunshine, it's a gift of grace. Don't look at the weather forecast for tomorrow. 
But any act of mercy towards God, towards you that's undeserved is an expression of his grace. And as you and I start to think about all the ways that his grace has blessed us, it will change the way we live. So we're going to unpack these things over the next six weeks. And today we're going to ease into it by talking about the forgiveness that we receive and the forgiveness that we are called to extend to other people. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. It's on page 1527, if you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you. Matthew chapter 18. And in order for this verse to really um, speak to us, I need you to help me out here. I need you to think about somebody who owes you something. Somebody who wronged you. Somebody who hurt you. I want you to think about that person as we read this passage because it'll give it kind of the full intended effect. Because as we'll see, Peter asks Jesus a question here about how many times he should forgive someone who's hurt him. And I don't think this is a random question. Let's look at uh, chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And when he says that, he's expecting Jesus to high-five him for such a generous answer. And Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus is going to have to tell us a story to help us get our minds around this, and he says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a young man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before the master and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. This is kind of, the story that Jesus tells kind of starts a little bit like a comedy. If you're in Jesus' listening audience and you heard Jesus talk about someone that owed as much as this guy owed, you would have laughed. Our equivalent would be millions and millions of dollars. And as soon as Jesus told that, everybody would have chuckled because they know this is an impossible debt to ever repay. And one day the master says, it's time to repay all debts. So imagine if you get home from church today and you see all these messages flashing on your phone and one's from your mortgage company. And by five o'clock, they want all the money owing on your house. And another one's from your car company and they want all the money still outstanding on your car loan. The other one's the bank. They want all the money outstanding on your credit cards and it's all due tonight by five o'clock. Are you feeling the weight of that? That's kind of what's going on in this story. And because this man had more debt than he could ever repay, His whole family is going to be sold off to help repay the debt. So the servant does three things. He throws himself on the ground, he cries out for patience, and he promises to pay it all back, which would have gotten a laugh from the crowd because this amount was unpayable. And the master, in a stunning turn of events, does three things. He takes pity on the man, he cancels his debt, and he sets him free. He becomes an object of mercy, the millions of dollars are forgiven, and the life of slavery is avoided. 
Now, while Jesus is telling this story about money, the word that he uses here, debts, speaks of spiritual debts. And it would have been familiar to his audience. The idea being that each sin that you commit creates a debt before God, and this debt is accumulated over life. Sins were demerits that separated us from God, and good deeds were credits that helped us reconnect with God. And like the guy in the story, and like me, and maybe like you, the man's debts were bigger than his credits. And yet the master took pity on him. His heart was moved, he canceled his debts, and he set him free. And it becomes an example for you and I as we think about what grace looks like. Unearned favor that, was, that he did not deserve. And Jesus wants us to live out in this story a little bit and to put ourselves in this guy's shoes. So let's just hang out here first and think about our own spiritual indebtedness to the Lord. This will be fun. You can feel free to share with your neighbor if you like as well. Think for a second. Just all of your words, all of your thoughts, and all of your actions that fall short. Things we do knowingly, things we do unknowingly, things that we have begged Jesus to forgive us from and told him we would never do it again and then did it again before supper time. Um, all the times we completely ignored the Lord, did our own thing, and then as soon as we ran into the smallest problem, we ran back to him promising we'd, we know we'd be closer and we'd do better next time. All of that, standing before your master with all of that and hearing that he has shown mercy to you, that he's canceled it all, and that he sets you free. This is the kind of grace that changes everything. We're free from being ashamed. We're free from holding on to these things. We're free from having our identity shaped by our failures. And I'd say today, if you have never experienced that freedom, it's available to you, and you can experience it today. Now, Peter's probably standing there saying, I asked you a question about how often I have to forgive other people. Get to the point. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. Create something so he will make the connection. Let's keep reading at verse, uh, verse uh, 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, and these words should sound familiar to us because we just heard them a second ago, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused, and instead he went off and had that family thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant back in, he said, you wicked servant, I canceled the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So the man walks out. He's completely forgiven. He's been forgiven of millions and millions of dollars. He's light. He's free. His family is free. And then he sees someone that owes him 600 bucks. And he runs to him. And he grabs hold of him. And he abuses him. He uses the exact same language the unmerciful servant had used only a few hours before, begging for forgiveness, promising to repay everything back, and calling out for mercy. 
but he wouldn't show him any. He threw him in prison. Word gets out and the disciples uh, see what's going on and it says that they're distressed. That word means sad. They're sad and you can relate to this because maybe you've had a run-in with a Christian who's mean and angry and you've seen the way they've treated somebody else and it made you sad. This is the same kind of spirit of what's going on here. The master hears about all that's taken place calls his servant back and says and does three things. He calls him wicked, he sends him to be tortured, and he demands repayment. And the audience probably breaks into applause because they are seeing an example of justice here. But then Jesus speaks these words. They're the words about the effect of grace that should be on our lives. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Shouldn't the grace you received from me have changed the way you lived and treated people? After all the kindness you received from me, you should be kind. After all the patience I have extended to you, you should be showing patience to other people. Jesus expects that when we are the recipients of his grace, it should change the way we treat others. And that includes forgiving other people. And then Matthew, who's writing this story to us, the church, in his time, shares those punchy words in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. I don't know about you, I get the sense that Jesus might be kind of serious about this. Is that fair? And you can just picture Peter standing there, eyes wide open, wishing he had never asked Jesus this question. The effect of grace is that forgiven people become forgiving people. People who know what it's like to stand before their master, saddled with all of their sin, and to receive mercy to have their debts canceled, and to be set free changes us so that we become the kind of people who extend forgiveness to others. And this is the tough work of discipleship. Relying on the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do things that do not come naturally because I don't know about you, but this is heavy lifting. Living out of our identity as a forgiven child of God, not out of our old identity. And Peter knows how difficult this is and because it's personal. In fact, he even says it in his question to Jesus. He asks him the question, how many times should I forgive someone who has sinned against me? It's personal. Who has hurt me, taken something from me, ruined my reputation, stolen from me, cheated on me, manipulated me, abused me. And Jesus wants to lead us to a place where we are able to grant forgiveness so that we can be free. This parable is concerned with you and I. It's not concerned about how the other person accepts our offer. It doesn't matter whether they're going to do it again. Jesus is concerned about you and your freedom. And I don't think it's random or accidental that in this story he includes violence or anger. There's that awful image of the unmerciful servant. Immediately after he's been forgiven, he sees someone who owes him $600 and he becomes angry and physically violent. And it reminds us that anger and unforgiveness often go hand in hand. Jesus knows if we're going to talk about forgiving others, we have to face the anger 
that might be living inside of us. Because when we refuse to forgive other people, we choose to live a life where anger and resentment forfeit our chance at peace. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we keep the past in the present. It wants to slip into the past, but we keep dragging it back into the present. We renew it, we revive it, we whip it into a frenzy, and we say, you're staying right here. When we choose to withhold forgiveness from someone, we're saying, when it comes to other people's sins against me, I want mercy. But when it comes to your sins uh, against me, I want justice. And maybe you know people who've been unable to forgive, and they're holding on to this hurt, hoping that it's making someone else miserable. When in often cases, those people have moved on and are just enjoying life. You know the old quote, Anger is drinking poison, hoping someone else will die. Drinking poison, hoping someone else will die. And anger sustained over a lifetime, kept in the present, fanned into flame, gets bigger and bigger so that there's really no longer any way for there to be healing. I mean, if the person who harmed you, if you've been holding it onto it for years, and they offered you $20 million, they said, you can burn down my house, you can cut off my arm and chop off a leg, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. And Jesus wants you and I to be free. They've stolen enough of your days. They've taken enough of your sleepless nights. They've occupied enough space in your heart. Jesus wants you to forgive so you can be free. Because grace will always lead us to freedom. And so today, if this is your thing, I know this is not enough time to jump into this topic fully, I want to suggest three things that might be helpful for you to start to think about as you think about granting forgiveness to someone who's hurt you. The first is this, name the debt. Name the debt. If you say they hurt me, that's too general. If you say they've sinned against you, it's not specific enough. What was it that they took from you? What can you name it? Maybe you lost your reputation, you lost key earning years in your life, you lost your childhood, you lost your ability to trust and have a healthy relationship. Maybe you lost your faith, and the fact that you're here today or even watching online is a, a miracle above miracles. When you can name it, then you're able to know what it is you're asking forgiveness for, and you can start to get to the heart of the matter. Second, choose to cancel the debt. When the servant leaves his masters forgiven and free and he sees the person that owes him 600 bucks, he has a choice to make in that moment. And so often when we have been wronged, we forget that we have the power to choose how we deal with that. And choosing to forgive doesn't mean that what they did didn't matter. It doesn't mean that you should immediately become their best friend and it doesn't mean that they should not face consequences for what's taken place but it does mean you are saying, I'm not going to let what you did define me anymore. I'm going to let the grace of God define me. I'm not going to let their sin and their offense determine whether or not I move forward. I'm going to let the grace of God guarantee that I move forward. You have the power to say, the debt is canceled, and you owe me no more. And you don't even have to tell them that, but you can make that decision all on your own. Lastly, refuse to pick it up again. And here we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us with this. The problem with memory is it will likely never forget what they did, and it will always hurt to remember it. But if we can choose not to dwell on it, not to work ourselves up into an angry mess, choose not to let that memory have a seat at the table anymore, 
then that memory will remain, but the anger and the resentment and the power it has on us will start to fade, and we will be on the road to peace. And here's the amazing thing. In time, I believe it's completely possible for you to remember the wrong and how they hurt you, but then also to remember the grace of God that was present in you in that moment that helped you choose to forgive and put you on the road to healing and to peace. This is the effect of grace on our lives. Let me close with a a quick quote. This is one of like 10,000 of my favorite quotes from Eugene Peterson. It's short, but it's so powerful. Forgiveness is resurrection. Life from the dead. Forgiveness is resurrection. Life from the dead. Resurrected from your anger and resentment. Resurrected from living in the past. Choosing forgiveness means choosing to come back to life. And that's what God wants for you by his grace. Let me pray. God, today we, we remember that there was a time when we stood before you holding all of our debt, all of our sin and all of our brokenness. And you looked at us and showed mercy. You canceled our debt and you've set us free. And Lord, today now we want more of that freedom for ourselves because of your grace. And so if there's somebody that's standing before us holding all of their debt towards us, all of the things that they have done to us, by your gracious power, give us the ability to cancel their debts and set them free and to set ourselves free that we might go down the path to peace. And we pray this in your name.